Hey, this is Pastor Michael Petit from Calvary Chapel, Divine, Texas. Would really like to thank you for taking time to check out our podcast, our Sunday sermons, and our Wednesday night Bible studies. You can always share this, download it, or even find it on Spotify, Google Podcast, Apple Podcast, SoundCloud, and pretty much wherever you can find a podcast. You can also find out about our church service times. We have our Sunday service at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday night Bible study at 7 p.m. We're located in the Market Media Building. It's located at 203 East College Avenue, Sweet C in Divine, Texas. Plus, if you need to get any other information from the church, you can do all of this at our church website at calvarydivine.org. That's calvarydivine.org. Here's today's teaching. All right, so uh, today uh, I, I entitled this Mark chapter 9, verses 1 through 13. It's, this is my beloved son. Listen to him. Very simply, if God says it, that's, that's your best title, right? Um, and that comes from the ESV version. Because I, I love that part, listen, uh, listen to him. Because it, we need to listen to God, listen to his son. Um, we'll look at it in three parts, transfigured before them in verses 1 through 4. The Lord responds in verses 5 through 8. And then the questions get answered in verses 9 through 13. Now, as we look at the book of Mark, Mark is divided in two parts. The first part deals with that question that we had come up is, who, who do you say that I am? When they asked that question, when Jesus asked that question, and, and uh, the reason why he was doing that is because he needed to talk to them about him not just being a political leader, someone who is just going to take over and lead the world at that time because that's what they thought they were getting and and as we move into the the next part of the uh the book of mark it deals with the resurrection it deals with him suffering him being rejected and then and then him uh being killed and being resurrected and that's what we looked at when we looked at mark chapter 8 verse 31 and then the disciples at this point as they hear that information they they've taken a a turn that they weren't expecting to take. They were on a road where they thought, okay, this is the Messiah. He's going to take over Rome, and we're, we're going to lead. Jerusalem will be ours again. The temple, we can do whatever we need to do. And then what happens? Jesus tells them, I'm going to suffer. I'm going to be rejected. I'm going to be killed, and I'm going to be resurrected. And all of a sudden, they went from going on the highway to taking a detour. They took a hard right, and Jesus took them on a hard right, and that happens to us at times. Uh, the reason why I know that is because I've had that happen in my life, and I know that you probably have had that happen in your life, where you think that something was going the direction you were going, and God takes you a different way. I know right before I planted this church, I got diagnosed with porphyria, and I was like, I already have Sjogren's. What else do you want to give me? But I had porphyria. And let me tell you something. I took a hard right. Now don't get me wrong. I was discouraged. I still attended church. I still taught, I still taught Bible study. Right? I was still in my word every day. And I was still feeling like, man, Lord, I, how can I lead a church if I have these illnesses? I'm going to get sick. I'm going to end up in the hospital. And for probably three, maybe three or four weeks, planning the church was, got sidetracked because I was, I was in my own little pity party. And we were in the book of Nehemiah for the men. And there was this great verse in Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 10. This is why you're supposed to stay in the Word of God. When you, even, no matter what you're going through, stay in God's Word, Right? Uh, and, and I love the verse in Nehemiah 8.10. And the very end of that verse, it says, And do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. And, and within that verse, I said, you know what? I'm going to take a pivot. I'm going to go this direction that God is calling me to go. And you know what I did? I walked into Joe's office, and I told him I need to go ahead and start the church planning classes. Let's go ahead and set the date for this date we're leaving. And we did it. Now, was it hard? Yeah. You go through it. That's what the disciples are going through right now. They've just been told that the Messiah is going to be killed. 
and resurrected. And then they get told that you need, they're like, hey, pick up his cross and follow him. Deny self. So they're like, what are we doing? We've already gave up everything. And so now they're going to go to the Mount of Transfiguration. And this is really going to be an encouragement for them. This is an encouragement for them to go, you know what? We need to pivot and do what God's calling us to do now. This is the direction we're going. And so as we look at these verses today, we're going to look at first part here as transfigured before them in verses 1 through 4. And it says, and he, had sure, and he said to them, Assuredly, I say to you that there are some standing here uh, who will not taste death till, the, uh, till they see the kingdom of God present with power. Now, what we're talking about here is this actually is a continuation. Because remember, the book of Mark is not, when, when it was originally written, was not done by chapters. But this verse actually deals with what was going on last week in the conversation last week. And what he's trying to let them know is the kingdom of God is wherever the king is. That's what he's trying to let them know. And, and, um, and, and so when Peter, James, and John would hear this, he would let them know that the power of God is where, where the king is, is at, Jesus, the Messiah. And, and we know that Jesus is the king. We, we know that from John chapter 18, verses 36 to 37. And Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight, so that I should not be delivered to the Jews, but now my kingdom is not from here. And Pilate therefore said to him, Are you a king then? And Jesus answered, You say rightly that I am a king. For this, because I was born, and, and for this, because I, uh, I have come into the world, that I should bear witness to the truth, Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. Now we also know that, that Jesus is going to return. And when Jesus returns, there will actually be a millennial rule for a thousand years as a king here on earth. And Daniel chapter 7 verse 13 talks about that. And it says in uh, Daniel 7 13, I was watching the night visions and behold, one like the Son of Man coming with the clouds of heaven. He, he came to the Ancient of Days. And they brought him near before him. And so his, his dominion is everlasting. And he will rule over all nations. And Jesus, when he returns, he returns as the lion. Judging the world. And will rule for a thousand years. We know that in Revelation chapter 20 verse 6. Because we'll be with him. And it says, blessed, the holy, uh, blessed and holy is he who has part in the first resurrection. Over such the second death is no power, but they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him, for, uh, with him a thousand years. And when he's saying some of you will not taste death because in this moment what he's talking about is he's going to show them his glory as he's transfigured on the mountain. But he's also letting us know that, that part of the kingdom of God and, and the power that they're going to see is his resurrection. They didn't taste death. They saw it. Peter, James, and John and the disciples saw that. We also know that, that on the day of Pentecost, they saw the power of the kingdom of God as well. In the early church, as, as 3,000 converts come to know faith, and over and over we see it in, in church history as, as the kingdom of God is being revealed. And for us at Calvary Chapel, one of the things that we have to be mindful of doing is not looking backwards. Too many Calvary Chapel pastors live in the past. And what I mean by that is nothing wrong with what God has done in the past, but we need to look at what God wants to do now. And we miss that. Because we go, oh, well, the Jesus movement, the Jesus movement, that's great. That's great, but you're missing the Jesus movement that's happening now. We've, we've seen it. We've seen it, seen it actually being done. As we've gone to events, as we've seen these young kids coming to know faith because they're looking for answers. And we have the kingdom of God that's been given to us with all authority in heaven and earth. And it tells us that in Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 to 20. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. 
You have that. The kingdom of God, the power of God wants to work through you. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. The kingdom of God is happening before us and we need to be a part of it. It happens in this community. We're actually working on, on April 2nd. There's going to be a community concert, live event that's going to happen. And it's going to happen at the, uh, you know, as of right now, we, we're, we filled all the paperwork out, and it looks like everything's approved for the football field in Natalia ISD. Now, this is a massive undertaking that's not going to be handled just by this church. We have other churches that are coming alongside of us to help out with this. But this is an opportunity to see the kingdom of God and the power of God to come alive in these communities. And Lytle, Natalia, Divine, and, and the outlining communities of this city. That God can still move. We need to be praying for that. Because a revival doesn't happen without prayer. Without people praying for it. The kingdom of God, the power of God, is, is where the king is. And the king has given you the power of the Holy Spirit inside you. To do the, the work of the Lord. So remember that. And he's, he's reminding them of that. And he's going to show them this as he goes up to the mountain as he's been, being transfigured. And now after six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John and led them up on a high mountain apart by themselves. And he was transfigured before him. Now, the question is, is why did he take Peter, James, and John? I don't know if y'all remember when we first kind of looked at the book of Mark, we broke down how there were three groups. He would have four groups of 12 broken down by three, and the first three were Peter, James, and John. Those were the ones he would always take with him. Now, they were also the ones that got into the most trouble and would say this, the silliest stuff. So you kind of go, did he take him for that? Or did he take him because he didn't want to, when he comes back down from the mountain, Lord knows what he's going to find when Peter, James, and John are down there, right? But Peter was the leader of the early church. And, and also Peter uh, was the one that opened the door for the Jew and the Gentiles at Pentecost. James was the head of the first great church in Jerusalem. And then John was at, at, you know, as we read the book of John, just a, a marvelous book uh, that was written. John was also the author of the book of Revelation that closed the Bible out. These men were all used in a mighty way. But you know what they were on their way to go do? If you look at Luke chapter 9, verse 28, they're actually on their way to pray. They went up to pray. Jesus wanted to pray. So he went up to the mountain to go pray. And, it, and I love in, verse, in Luke 9, verse 32, we find out what happens. It's very typical of these guys. But Peter and those with, with him were heavy with sleep. Jesus is praying, and they fell asleep again. They were supposed to be praying, and they fell asleep. They are on a higher mountain, higher altitude. Maybe the oxygen got them or whatever. But, I mean, at the same time, that's a pattern for these guys. It says that he was transfigured. Transfigured before him. That means in the Greek that, uh, that Christ's appearance, it, it changed and it was, it was glorious. It was divine. Uh, another way of looking at it is, is it means that he, uh, part of, of, of the true character of Christ is being revealed. And we know that, that uh, when Moses had been with God, he reflected the glory, but not like this, not like, like Jesus is transfigured. In Moses in Exodus 34:30, uh, so when Aaron and all the children of Israel saw Moses, behold, the skin of his face shone, and they were afraid to come near him. So you have to understand when Jesus is transfigured, the veil of his flesh is being Revealed to his divinity. It's from humanity to divinity. His deity. You're seeing who Jesus is. 
And, and, and this would have been very encouraging for guys who just uh, six days earlier would have heard that, that he's going to be killed. This would have been encouraging for those that, you know, for us as we read the Word of God, for us to remember that he's still the king. That no matter what happens in our world, he's still the king. No matter what happens in your world, he's still the king. He's the king of kings and the Lord of lords, and we need to remember that. It says that he, his clothes became shiny in verse 3, exceedingly, like, exceedingly white like snow, such as no launderer on earth can whiten them. And I remember when we used to play football, we, I don't know why they gave us white uniforms, the pants. They would always have the green stains. It didn't matter how much bleach you put on them, it never got out. For some reason, when I read Launderer, it's like I can remember my mom. What did you do with your pants? We would be running around and get grass stains everywhere. But it says it was bright and, and like shining out of Jesus. And so uh, one of the things I love is the way that Matthew uh, shares this. In Matthew chapter 17, verse 2, it says, He was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, S-U-N, the sun. That's how bright it was. In John 1.14, it says, uh, and this is John writing about this moment, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John was on that mountain and saw His glory. And he talks about it in the book of John. Glory glory as, as the only Son from the Father. In Revelation chapter 21, verse 23, it says, The city uh, had no need of the sun or of the moon to shine it in it, for the glory of God illuminated it. The Lamb is its light. The Lamb is its light. Shone like the sun. And Peter refers to this as well as, as, as he refers to the Mount of Transfiguration. He talks about it in, in 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 16 and 18. It says, For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of His majesty. For when, we, when He received honor and glory from God the Father... The voice was born to him by the majestic glory. This is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice born from the heaven, uh, for we were with him on the holy mountain. Do you not think that this moment encouraged them? It encouraged them. and encouraged them as they stepped out and led the church. It encouraged them as they received the Holy Spirit. This is a reminder to us as, as believers in Christ is that God is calling us to step out in faith and do things that, you know, that we're going to, you know, one of the things we did is we, we said, okay, we're going to do this event. And then Dan from Prevailing Word, he looked at me, he goes, maybe we can get the football field. And I was like, wow, I wasn't even thinking that big because that, that's a lot. And so we were like, okay, let's give it a shot. And so we went and met the superintendent. Who's a believer? Praise God. And he's like, okay, well, you just got to fill this form out. You're going to need cops because you have to have security. You need to have insurance. And we were like, that first step was easy. The next step, we were like, whoo, let's start working on the other stuff. That night, that night, one of the pastors at his church was like, hey, I think we need some, some, some security for this event on April 2nd. They were like, don't worry about it. We'll take care of it. The cops. And I was like, just take, take that step of faith. When you get those little bumps in the road and those things, they're going to happen regardless of what you do. That's life. And when God takes you on that hard right, sometimes I love what, what Ryan Reese talked about when he talked about storms. Sometimes storms don't come to disrupt your life, but to help guide it. And that's the same thing here. When you have those hard rights that happen in your life, when you have to take those detours and you have those bumps, God's taking you in a different direction and it's okay. 
And, and you need to trust that. And you see how Peter and John, how much this one moment impacted them that they wrote about it in their, in their epistles. And, 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 you know, Peter writes about it and John writes about it in the Gospels. And it's, it's just a reminder to us, when you have those bumps in the road, you need to cling to Christ. Cling to the King. Elijah appeared, in verse 4 it says, And Elijah appeared to them and with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. Now, Elijah had been dead for about 900 years. Moses had been dead for about 1,400 years. There was no Instagram or the gram, as the kids call it. I don't even think they use Instagram anymore. See, I got that. They were like, no. Oh. See, teenagers, whatever you're on, the teenagers move. On to the next thing. Yeah, and all. So, uh, how did they know that it was Elijah and Moses? There, there's a conversation that happens, and that word for they were talking, that word talking meant that they were in an extensive conversation. And what were they talking about? They were actually talking about the, in Luke chapter 9, verse 31, says, Who appeared in glory and spoke of his decease, which was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. They're talking about the death, the resurrection, and the ascension, which was going to happen. Salvation, which was going to happen. This is what they're talking about. And, and I love this because, you know, Moses and Elijah both met God on a mountain. Right? They both saw the glory of God. Both left the, the world in strange ways. Moses was buried by God and Elijah was taken up by a chariot of fire into heaven. And they both are, are a summary of the Old Testament. Moses actually brought us the Old Testament, uh, the Old Testament system, and Elijah actually renewed it. Because at the time Elijah comes along, the children of Israel had lost their way. And Elijah Brent comes in and then brings them back and gets them back on track. And this conversation is happening, and and Peter seeing uh, proof that he is the Christ right before him. Because remember, Peter needed this because Peter was rebuked by Jesus just six days earlier. The fact that Peter was there, this would have been encouraging to him because he just got rebuked in front of the disciples. Get behind me, Satan. And he's seeing Jesus transfigured. Not only Jesus transfigured, but he's seeing Elijah and Moses now. And we see in the second part is as the Lord responds in verses 5 through 8. Uh, it says, Then Peter answered and said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to, to be here. Let us make three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah, because they, he did not know what to say, for they were greatly afraid. Now Peter's freaking out a little bit, so he starts talking. You ever met somebody like that? They don't know, they can't handle silence, so they just start talking. I, just, I, I knew I'm not the only one. <laughs> they just start going, right? And, and, and what's sad is, you know, Peter is, is in his humanity now. And Jesus is there in his divinity, transfigured. And Peter's going to go ahead and, and, and bring him and just say what comes to the first thing in his mind, right? So Peter tells him, you know, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. Yeah, that's, that's a true statement. It is good. Uh, and let us make three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. This is a problem. Because what he's doing is he's actually putting Moses and Elijah on the same plane as Jesus. And Jesus is above them. Jesus is the King of kings, the Lord of lords. He sits at the right hand of the Father. And, and, and Peter, you know, not knowing what to say, he says it. And, and we know that in Luke chapter 9, verse 33... He's, it says, not knowing what he said, but yet he said it. And God came to us. He sent his son for us. And this is what a reminder to us that his ways are, are not our ways. In Isaiah 55, 8, it says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. And by saying that he's going to be, uh, build those three tabernacles, he's, he's not understanding that truly Jesus is deity. 
He's answering it in a way that he would see it in the world. We need to build a tabernacle for, for all three of them. That's how, that's how the world would have, would have answered it. They would have wanted to stay on the mountain. Let's build tabernacles here and stay here and not come down from the mountain. Let's just stay here. That's what Peter wanted. That's what humanity would do. I'm good. Let's just stay here. We don't need to go back down. This is a good place to be. And yet, if we do that, then sin is, is not going to be, the cross is never going to happen, and uh, we'll never have a, a forgiveness of our sin. But this is where Peter was at. He was like, hey, let's just, let's just build the tabernacles here. Let's stay here on the mountain. And that's what happens sometimes with us is we, when we approach things, we approach them through a worldly perspective. And, and we, we're not approaching them through a biblical perspective. And we have to be careful with that. And it says, because he did not know what to say, for they were greatly afraid. Um, I'm going to share this, and this is just real quick, and I won't spend a lot of time with it. If you don't know what to say, don't say nothing. Don't say anything. You know why? You have the Holy Spirit in you. Take a break. Let, let that silence sit there. Because sometimes what, what you don't know what to say, the Holy Spirit does. And it's saying it to that person's heart or that conscience of that other person. And, and we start, I don't know what to say, so let me start talking. And you don't give them time to even process what you just said. The other thing is, too, is by you allowing that silence to happen, God may bring something to memory through the Holy Spirit, a verse of Scripture, or even you need to pray for this person right now. And, and through that silence, that's what you received. And, and so Peter, you know, not knowing what to say because he was what? For they were greatly afraid. I can imagine they would be afraid. I understand that. But Peter always has a tendency to say what he just feels like he needs to say. And sometimes we need to learn to... The stuff we need to say is not that important sometimes. We need to allow the, the Holy Spirit to to work in that other person's heart or work in, in your heart and just have that silence up there. You know how hard it is for people to do that? I, I, I forget what movie it was. It, I just remember the, the, the <laughs> trying to do a moment, like have a moment of silence in the car. Do that with grandkids. See how long that lasts. <laughs> who, can keep, who can stay quiet the longest? It lasts, what, two minutes, maybe a minute before somebody starts giggling and starts talking? But we need to allow the Holy Spirit to speak to us or speak to them. So we need to, we need to not, we don't always have to have an answer, right? In verse 7 it says, and, and, and a cloud came and overshadowed them. And that's actually the Shekinah glory of the cloud that overshadows them. Um, and the voice came out of the cloud saying, this is my beloved son, hear him. So as we see this, this is actually the, the overshadowing of that cloud is actually from Exodus and part of the Old Testament in, in uh, Exodus 40, verse 35. And it says that Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud settled on it and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. That's the Shekinah glory of the Lord that fills it. It's, a, it's a, the weight and the glory of God. It's, um, it's His presence. And in 1 Kings chapter 8, verses 10 and 11, there's a, a moment when he, he fills it as well. It says, And the priest came out of the holy place. The cloud filled the house of the Lord so that the pre priest could not stand to minister because of the cloud for the glory of the Lord filled the house of the Lord. We also know that they, they, they would have the holy of holies. It was no, no light. And they would have that one priest that would go in once a year to make the sacrifice of sprinkled blood. And they'd have to tie a rope to him. And if he wasn't pure, they'd have to drag him out. Let's get the next guy. Can you imagine being the, the guy on backup? 
that guy gets dragged out. They're like, you're next. <laughs> but it was, it was the Shekinah glory. And, and it, it filled the temple. And, the, and, and that's why that veil was there. But when Jesus was, uh, when Jesus was crucified and, and died on the cross, the veil was torn. Because Jesus had died for our sins and was resurrected. And, and so this Shekinah glory, this, this cloud that, that is there is, I love it because it says, this is my beloved son, hear him. And the ESV, I think it says, listen to him. Right? Hear him, listen to him. In Psalm 2, verse 7, it says, I will declare the decree. The Lord has said to me, you are my son, today I have begotten you. The one thing I love about this is God the Father is affirming that this is His Son, Jesus. Did y'all get that? This is God the Father affirming that this is His Son, Jesus. He's recognized as the Christ. That is, it, this is the, uh, the Son that He would give up. For the sins of this world. In Hebrews chapter 1 verses 1 and 2 it says long ago at, at many times and in many ways God spoke to our fathers. Uh, but the, the prophets. But in the last days he has spoken to us by his son. Whom he appointed the heir of all things. Through whom also he created the world. In verse 8 it says suddenly when they had looked around they saw no one anymore but only Jesus with themselves. Jesus is there now. The Elijah and Moses are gone. The tabernacles that, that Peter wanted to build were just something that he wanted to do because that's what a human would have thought needed to be done. And Peter turns around and, and, and he sees or he he sees that Jesus is the only one standing there. Which is very, very significant to us to remind us that he's the only way. In John 14, 6, it says, Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. God the Father, who, who, who identifies Jesus as his Son, there's no other way. People think there are other ways. This is the saddest thing I've seen is, is there are so many young people because of the mess that's been pushed out and they think there are these, all these different roads to heaven, and they're not. There's only one way. There's only one way. And, and you know, sadly, I, I, you see these different belief systems that are there that, I don't know what we were watching. It was something that was on TV, and they were trying to adjust. And it's not, not knocking California, but it was in California. It was L.A., so you can imagine the chaos. But they're trying to make every person happy and their God happy and their, their, oh, their spiritual stuff and their, there's only one way. There's only one way and it's Jesus Christ. And, and so we need to remember that. In Mark chapter 8, verse 35, that's why he said that verse to them is, for whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. That's why he had told him that. He's like, there's only one way, and it's through me. Jesus. That's what he's letting Peter, James, and John know. Is like, look, I am the king. I am the king of kings, the Lord of lords. And wherever the king is, that's where the kingdom goes. And so, as we look at the, the questions getting answered in verses 9 through 13... Uh, it says, Now as they came down from the mountain, he commanded them that they should tell no one the things they had seen till the Son of Man had, had risen from the dead. So you've got to imagine, they probably have a million questions going through their head, a million things that they're trying to process. And he tells them not to say anything until the Son of Man has, has risen from the dead. You could tell everybody after that. And you're supposed to be telling everybody after that. They didn't understand all the information, but he's like, y'all can't go out there and tell people because you still don't fully understand it yet. You, you don't have all the information yet, but you will. And when it happens, then you need to tell everybody. 
that the Son of Man was resurrected, that He has risen from the dead. But He's like, until I rise from the dead, you don't tell nobody, because right now you don't understand it. Peter, I need you to stick with me, Peter. Stick next to me. I don't need you going out and telling everybody everything, right? Verse 10 says, so they, they kept His word to themselves, questioning what the rising from the dead meant. So they're coming down from that mountain, and you can imagine they're coming down from the mountain thinking, we just saw Jesus transfigured. We just saw the glory of, of Jesus, right? We're coming down from the mountain, and Rome is in trouble. That's what they're thinking. That's what's going through their head. They're still processing this stuff. And, and let me tell you something that, you know, for us... You know, we need to remember that Christ has is, is come not to, to try to change the world that we're in, but to change lives, to change hearts, to, to, to see somebody that maybe that was struggling through some type of addiction or see somebody that's going through a marriage issue or see somebody uh, that may, may be struggling just to, through depression or anxiety. And Jesus comes, and that's why he comes. He comes to change people's lives. And, there, and, and, and through, through this, this thing that we, we need to remember today, it's like when they're coming down from the mountain, they're coming down thinking that this other thing's going to happen. And Jesus says, that's not what's going to happen. Again, it's like, look, I'm taking you this direction. You're not going this direction. I'm taking you over here. Are you okay with that? Right? Sometimes Jesus wants to remove you completely out of the, the circumstance you're in. Now, I've seen Jesus do that. Where somebody who's been addicted to alcohol gives their life to Christ and they never drink again. That's, that's the power of the kingdom of God. That's, that's what God does. And so for us, a lot of times Christians spend more time questioning because that's what they're doing is they're questioning in their head, what is Jesus talking about? What are we doing next? How is this all going to work out? And they're questioning Jesus. And we do the same thing. We do the same thing. Just be obedient to His Word. Proclaim His truth and live for the Lord today. That's, that's what God has called us to do and when we go through these little sidetracks of roads that we're on and we're off-roading with jesus and you're four by four right hang on he's driving he has the wheel not you and stop questioning him he's got you I, you know, I, I did the same thing i'm telling you when 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 i got diagnosed like i said i did the same thing now like now you want to do this yeah he did you know why because it, it it makes me spend more time in prayer with god about lord let me get through today let me let me have the strength to study let me have the strength to be there on wednesday let me have the strength to be there it's i spend more time clinging to Jesus. And you go, but dude, you got an illness. Another one. And it's like, Shh. It's, I'm, I'm only here because of the power of Jesus Christ. It's only what God can do. I, I, there's a lady here in town that actually, praise God, she, she's struggling with some major stuff. And she, she spends a lot of time serving this community through Christ. And, and I, I just remember we were at breakfast and, and Dan looked at her and was like, man, your schedule makes me tired. And we're pastors. But she's, she's spending her time living for the Lord, not questioning what God is doing in her life. Like through the illness that she has, she has a major illness. And yet she's like, I'm going to do what God's called me to do. And that's encouraging to me. You know, that's encouraging to me. So for us, you know, same thing. We can get to questioning God. 
it's okay if you have to do that. But just ask God instead of questioning him, say, Lord, help me understand this. Give me, give me understanding. I, I, I know you're taking me this direction, but just give me understanding. You know, we do that. But don't walk away from your word. Don't walk away from the Lord. So that's, that's what happens so many times as people start questioning and they drift away from God's word, from God's prayer, and they, they just drift away from the Lord. Cling to him. Verse 11 says, And he asked them, saying, Why did, you, why did the scribes say Elijah must come first? Now, we, we just saw Elijah, so they're asking the question, Why, did, why does Elijah come first? In Malachi chapter 4, verses 5 and 6, this is what they would have been referring to. It says, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest they come and strike the earth with a curse. And then it says, Then he answered and told them, Indeed, Elijah is coming first and restores all things. And how it is written concerning the Son of Man, that he must suffer many things and be treated with contempt. Now that's talking in future tense there about Elijah restoring all things. And that deals with actually Revelation chapter 11 verse 3. It deals with the, uh, the two eyewitnesses. And it says, I will give my power of, uh, to my uh, two eyewitnesses and they will prophesy 1,262 1, days clothed, clothed in sackcloth. And so they're talking about either an Elijah-like figure or literal, literally Elijah. Now, for me, I believe it's, it's going to be Elijah. Uh, I, that's one of the things that, that I believe. It, it, it also tells us that, that he must suffer many things in that verse, right? That, that he, he must suffer many things and be treated with contempt we know that that was in prophecy as well that and he's jesus again is referring them back to the old testament in isaiah 53 5 it says but he was wounded for our transgressions he was bruised for our iniquities the chastisement of our peace was upon him and by his stripes we are healed and we know that he was uh, in uh, treated with contempt in isaiah 53 verse 7 he was oppressed he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to, to the slaughter, and the sheep before the shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. And so the gospel is testifying uh, in the Old Testament that Jesus kept silent even though he was falsely accused. He, he got a sham trial, and he was falsely accused. Even, even Pilate said, I washed my hands of this. I don't find this man guilty. And, and, and so, you know, that's what they're, they're talking about there. And in Luke chapter 1, verse 17, uh, as we look at, at verse 13, it says, But I, I say to Elijah has also come, and they did whatever they wished as it is written of him. And now that's actually dealing with Elijah, dealing with John the Baptist. John the Baptist had come. He was the forerunner to Christ and Remember back in Luke chapter 1, verse 17, we went over this in that first uh, week of study when we first went into the book of Mark. Uh, it says in Luke 1, 17, He will also go before him in the Spirit and power of Elijah to the hearts of the fathers, to the children, and the disobedient, to the wisdom and of the just, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. And remember what John said in John chapter 1, verse 21, and they asked him, when they, uh, what then are you, uh, Elijah? And he said, I am not. Are you the prophet? He answered, no. And so they're referring to the prophecy again. as It goes back to Malachi 4, 5, and 6, but uh, the prophecy itself is, is dealing with the forerunner. And so Jesus is telling them, look, uh, you know, John's already come, the forerunner who's Elijah, uh, has come and, and, and they did to him whatever they wished as it was written. Remember, John had been beheaded. John was beheaded. And, and so he's just referring them again back to the Old Testament, back to, back to the verses in the Bible to, to remind them uh, and, and to, to answer these questions that they have. Because you can imagine they just saw Elijah. And so in their mind, they're thinking all of this is supposed to happen now. 
now. This is supposed to happen right now. We're coming down from the mountain and all this stuff is supposed to happen. And it wasn't time yet. And Revelation tells us that, that, that there'll be the two witnesses that come. And, and whether you believe it's Elijah-like or you believe it's Elijah, those are the two thoughts on that. That's why, you know, they're, they're a- trying to answer these questions because they're going off of Malachi 4, uh, chapter 4, verses 5 and 6. That's the last thing they remember. And again, all of this stuff is, is to, to help them understand because see now you understand why they can't go out and tell everybody they don't fully understand yet they're still going to be taught as we continue on to the the book of mark uh you know for us one of the things we need to remember is remember that the king is on the throne and and that 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 the kingdom of god's power still operates today in in our world and you all have the holy spirit in you and God uses you, and we see the kingdom of God and the power of the Lord happen when somebody's life is transformed or they give their heart to Christ or you see an event happen, you go, my Lord, all those kids just came to no faith. And, and, and it, it's, it's all through the power of the Holy Spirit. It's all done by the kingdom and the power of God. And Jesus is the king of kings. Just remember that all authority has been given to you and me in heaven and on earth, we have the power of the Holy Spirit. That's why Joe would always tell us, man, you, you can imagine the Old Testament prophets. You're going to be running up to them in heaven talking to Moses and Elijah. And you're going to be like, man, how, what it was like to part the Red Sea. And they're going to look at you and go, what was it like to have the Holy Spirit in you? You had the power of the Holy Spirit in you. What did you do with it? Right? Take those steps of faith. Take those steps of faith. This is a beautiful verse. If you're ever struggling through something, when Jesus is transfigured before these guys, God is, is encouraging these men, Peter, James, and John. And look what they do. Peter leading the early church. Seeing the Jews and the Gentiles come to know faith. James leading the church in Jerusalem. And John, the author of the book of Revelation. You know, at, at the end of the day, what we see is we see God using these people in a mighty way. And no matter what, what road that you're on, if God takes you on a detour, instead of questioning, ask, Lord, help me understand. Give me direction in this. What do I do? Seek Him in prayer. Cling to Him. You know, you, you have, the veil's been torn. You have access to Him. You have access to Him. Trust me, there are things that happen. I, any, I, anyone who has kids, y'all know that those right turns happen quite a <laughs> They happen. And, and what do you do? You're there, and sometimes I'm having to, to tell my kids, and they're asking me stuff. Well, you know, how do we do this, or what do we do? And I'm like, I, I, you know what I do? is Sometimes I just, I'm quiet, because I don't know. I'm seeking God. Like, Lord, give me something. Is there anything you want to tell? And sometimes they, they'll go, you know what? I need to pray. Or I get, let me give you this scripture. And then that opens up another conversation. You don't have to always interrupt. You don't let that silence be there. Let the Spirit move. Let people, sometimes when you're sharing the gospel with somebody, what do we want to do? We want to keep, keep going like that, right? Well, if you give your life to Christ and you just, you're going through the whole thing, slow down. Let them process what they're hearing. Be patient. Silence. Right? It's even that little bit right there is uncomfortable. Right? <laughs> we need to learn to be able to be okay with it. Because you know how we hear from the Lord too? Is in that silence. 
Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much for today. We do thank you, and we pray again. We lift up those that are sick, Lord. We pray for healing. Uh, we thank you for um, what a beautiful piece of scripture as we see your son being transfigured and at the same time you confirming that Jesus is your son. There should be no question that's been answered. Um, and I pray, Lord, if there's anybody that's struggling with that or anybody that's still uh, maybe thinking there's some other way, there's only one way through Jesus Christ. That's it. There's no other way. Um, we thank you, Lord. We pray as we uh, hit those detours in our lives, as you change direction for us, that we would see that not, you know, not all the time is it uh, to disrupt things or to create problems, but it's also to, uh, to slow us down at times, to guide us for things that are going to happen in the future that we have no clue about. At the same time, it, 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 those things happen so we cling to you and not run from you. Um, I, I just, Lord, I thank you so much for this, uh, this church. I thank you so much for all that you're doing. Again, I pray and just ask, Lord, as we get ready to move into the new building, that you would bless that building, uh, bless the move next week, and that it would go as easy as it can go, Lord. And uh, we thank you for, for this, this day, and we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much. That was Pastor Michael Petit from Calvary Divine, Texas. Remember, if you need to get more information on the church, you can do that at calvarydivine.org. God bless.